This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Thursday morning. I am not Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kitten, Texas, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network uh, for episode 1912. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Welcome back, Mary. By the way, it's April 12th. Oh my goodness. We just talked about this. <laughs> wow. I, I'm like, I'm like Ron Burgundy and Anchorman and I can only read what is in front of me. Um, so you could type in anything to mess with me and I would read it on air. <laughs> We're going to try that next month. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. I'll embarrass myself. <laughs> Well, it's a different set of, it's a different section of your brain, I think, of when you're talking and you're just talking conversationally and when you're reading something. So, you know, you have to get the other part of your brain to switch on and off. And that's hard at this hour of the morning. <laughs> do, yeah, do things at once and work. I'm like, of course, that, that way. I've got one track mind. I can focus on one thing at a time. One thing at a time. And uh, yeah, I, there's, there's a blank that I was supposed to put the date in and I didn't and I just uh, tripped all over that. That was fun. There we go. But it is April 12th, 2018, a uh, episode 1912. And tell us why this is significant, Mary. Okay. So as we were talking about this, uh, I saw 1912 and just random factoid that my brain launches out at me every few minutes. I was like, oh, that's the year the Titanic sank. And I actually Googled what the date was. Um, and it was April 14th. And then I was thinking today's April 12th. Wow. That's really close. And then, yeah, my mind just, I was thinking about Titanic when I was reading and that that's where I went wrong. There we go. <laughs> well, coming up, on today's Mary Kitzmiller training episode brought to you by Horseware, which happens the third, the second Thursday of every month, we're going to chat with, chat with auditor Kimberly Watts about, um, let's see, acting out. Oh boy, that's going to that's gonna be a fun one. We're going to do a little bit of a training tip on restraint, what it is and why it's important. And we're also going to chat with Josh Knight, who is one of Dan James' protégés, and he, he's going to be competing in the Kentucky Economy. Uh, extreme Mustang, Mustang makeover. makeover. Wow. Say that four yeah. times fast. And then filling in the negative space, we have lots and lots of listener questions from the horse radio network auditors, Facebook page. If you don't know about the horse radio network face auditors, Facebook page, you need to go horse to horse radio and look for the auditors banner 
and find out how you can become an auditor by helping to support Horse Radio Network through Patreon. And then you get to be in the coolest Facebook page on the interweb. So there we go. That's what's coming up on the show. Now, you had posted a picture of the latest from Sage, your current extreme Mustang makeover horse, your project. And you've been posting regular updates over there on the Horse Radio Network Auditor's Facebook page. And some of them prompted this topic for today of the value of a horse being restrained. So why don't we chit-chat about that just a little bit? What exactly is restrained mean? Does that mean like straitjacket? What is that? Um, You know, in a way. Uh, so... So I was told by um, an ex-boss of mine, and this is one of the few nuggets of wisdom that I actually held true to, that there are two ways to get to a horse's mind. And one is one we all know about, and that's to move their feet. And we have all these exercises we do. We work on lunging. We um, work on side passing and lateral work and backing and all that. And so many people practice that, whether you're doing it on the ground or under saddle. And that's one way to get to a horse's mind, get them working with you, um, get them disciplined, respectful, trusting all that. But the other thing um, is one that is not often talked about, especially um, in the recreational uh, side of things. And um, that is restraint. So when I talk about restraint, um, I could mean tying a horse up because obviously we're restricting movement to his feet. Um, so we're talking about, you know, one way to get a horse's mind is to move his feet. The other is to take his feet away. So tying is one of those things. Obviously we need to tie for practical purposes. If you're at a horse show, uh, if you're grooming your horse, saddling your horse, whatever, it's, it's very important. Um, loading a horse, teaching a horse to stand in a set of stocks or loading him in a trailer is a type of restraining exercise because he doesn't have complete freedom to move his feet around. Even halter training him is a type of restraint. Um, and then the other one that, uh, and this one for some reason gets a little, uh, people get a little uh, nervous about this one, and this is hobble training. And uh, that's training a horse to have uh, ropes around his feet, restraints on his on his legs so that he cannot uh, move uh, with his whole, you know, freedom of movement. Um, that one's a little scarier because uh, you are taking the horse's feet away from him and he's a prey animal and those are the very feet he needs to keep himself safe. So in his mind, um, he doesn't want his feet taken away. So um, if you don't do that correctly, you can cause a lot of problems uh, to be sure. But uh, what I have found is training him to accept um, the restraints such as hobbles around his legs uh, can be a really great exercise in teaching calmness, in trust building, uh, even confidence building. You teach a horse to have his legs taken away and then you let him know it's okay and he's going to make it through. He's like, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. And he gets a little bit braver about things. Um in Sage's case in particular, I was going about doing all the exercises I would do to hobble train. And I believe I touched on this in the last show. And so pretty much what that looks like is I, you know, I make sure I can touch her all over uh, her legs with my hands, with um, with the end of a whip, with a 
rope, just all sorts, anything I can think of. I'll, I'll make sure that her legs are accustomed be- to being touched. And then I'll wrap the lead rope around her legs and ask her to gently pick up each each foot. And then what I like to do is I either do this with a lariat or with sage. I used a soft long line. I will actually put a rope around her foot, each foot one at a time, and I will teach her to lead by her feet. So she already knows how to lead from the pressure of the halter. This is the almost the same process. I'm just teaching her to come forward off of the same cue, but it's on her foot. And uh, so all that looks like it's very gentle. It's a lot of pressure and release. And uh, and so I had done this with, with all four feet. And then I was to the point. So the next thing that I do with that is I will take the rope and use it to pick the horse's foot up and ask them to hold it there. And this is a really great exercise if you're getting your horse ready for the farrier because you can ask them to hold their foot um, for longer bits of time until they just accept having their foot taken away from them and holding it up in the air for as long as you want. If you can get a horse to do that, they become a lot more manageable for a farrier. Um, so I was at this point in the, uh, rope, uh, leading process and I had her little foot picked up and she just kind of sank back into a perfect little circus bow. And I thought, you know what? That's kind of cool. Let's keep going. Um, so I asked her to bow a couple of times and after a couple of little bows, she just laid down and it was <laughs> such a calm, peaceful thing. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have seen people lay horses down with ropes before, and it can be an extremely uh, um, action-filled, explosive thing. But in Sage's case, because I had done one thing at a time and built up and built up and built up, it was not. It was kind of a logical conclusion for her when I've been teaching her how to give to pressure, give to pressure, give to pressure. She just gave the ultimate gave, which is to lay down, which I think is pretty spectacular because, again, we're talking a prey animal. They need their feet to survive. And so you take their feet away, you take away their ability to run, and it can be very frightening to them. And, you know, in the wild, if she was being attacked by some predator by a mountain lion, the last thing that would happen before she succumbs to this animal is she would lay down. So in most horses' minds... That lay down is the last thing they want to do because that's their last, you know, being able to stand up is their last defense. And so if you can get one to lay down, especially calmly like that and let them know it's all okay, it's just a real confidence builder from them, uh, for them. But I like it when it goes that way, when it's, and it should always be that way when, you know, it's just a natural progression of giving to pressure. And it's amazing how much um, more quiet your horse is after the process, how much more confident they are. Um, So it's a whole other avenue you can use to get your horse thinking. Uh, You have to be a lot more careful, of course, and experience is extremely helpful. So if you don't have the experience, I recommend finding someone with the experience to help you. But it's just another piece of that horse training puzzle. So another example you gave of, I think, a, a better, a, an alternative way of using restrained is, it's, I, I think of this as the, the double-sided, the way to teach your dog to stop barking is to teach them to bark on command. 
the way to teach your horse to be restrained is to uh-huh. teach them to move their feet on command because once you've commanded them to move them, you can also command them to stop. If they're moving their feet on their own volition, it's really hard to tell them to stop because you didn't start it to begin with. So you mentioned about uh, trailer loading and trailering in general is a form of being restrained. And you're right. When the horse is in the trailer, especially if they're in a trailer that has dividers of some sort, he does not have the ability to move his feet anywhere he wants. So talk a little bit about how um, restraint or the ability to tell the horse to stop moving his feet can play into horses who have loading and trailering issues. So, um, you know, a a lot of that comes from um, fear and anxiety, of course, because, again, and that's why for so many horses, trailering is such an issue is we're dealing with a prey animal. And essentially what it looks like on the surface to the horse is you have a predator who's enticing this horse to come into this dark and scary moving cave from which he cannot escape. So that's that's kind of a big deal for a horse. Kind of, kind of. Um, and so I generally, yeah, exactly. So two things that I do to improve trailer loading. First, getting them in the trailer. That's one where I'll use a lot of exercises to move their feet. So um, things I do before trailer loading that I make sure that the horse is able to do. For instance, Sage, I have not really practiced trailer loading yet, but I'm putting all the pieces together. So things I want Sage to do before I load her, I'd like to have control of her hindquarters, ask her to yield her hindquarters. I'd like to have good control of her shoulders. I'd like to have a good backup on her because I like my horses to back out of the trailer and I sure as heck don't want to teach them the backup when they're in the trailer because that's going to be another recipe for disaster. They need to learn to back up before you put them in the dark, scary cave. Um, So, and I like to teach them to go forward. Obviously, I need them to go forward into the trailer. So I do all of those things to get the horse in the trailer. Now, some horses get in a trailer just fine, but once they're in and you close everything down, then they freak out. So for that um, type of behavior where I don't have a problem getting you on, it's just getting you to stay on and getting you to feel calm, that's a whole other thing. Um, I'll go more for teaching a horse to accept restraint. So if the trailer is a big, scary, dark cave that moves from which they cannot immediately escape, um, that's not the place in general to train calmness while standing still. So um, some horses I just load and they're fine and they, you know, they learn on their first trailer trailer ride to be be patient and it's all good. But some horses have a real problem and need help. Um, So one of the things that I do and I find not a lot of people do this as a general rule is I uh, I teach my horse to be okay standing tied for a long period of time. And I don't do this by just tying them up and then, okay, I'll see you tomorrow and <laughs> figure it out. Um, <laughs> you know, like when I first tied Sage up, I tied her up for five minutes after I was done working her. And then we've just increased that time every day until um, uh, the other day I had her tied up for a few hours. And... I don't, you know, if I've done my work correctly, the horse isn't going to do anything uh, really dangerous or or anything uh, for which I need to interfere and um, and do something about. Uh, 
you know, once that they learn to tie and they understand what it is, I'll just leave them tied. I'll supervise. I'll always be in the area. And, but I usually will tie up one horse that I'm going to train while I'm working a couple of other horses. And I let that horse figure out how to self pacify. Um, you know, if they paw, I don't, I don't make a big issue of it right away. Uh, it's usually something that goes away. If they, if they pace, if they call out to their friends, I just kind of let them do that and be bored and be a little anxious and figure it out and know that I'm not going to come get you right away. I'm not going to come rescue you because if they're doing that at home, then we know they're going to do that in the trailer or at a show and it's going to be worse. So I just, I let them go through that process within reason. Um, you know, I don't want to hang them out to dry or anything. Um, and I get them to where they're pretty okay with being tied and standing tied and staying tied for as long as I need that to happen. Um, and if I figure, I find that that helps me get them, um, a lot better, uh, as far as standing in the trailer for long periods of time. So, so that's kind of an example of, I used the idea of moving a horse's feet to get them introduced to the trailer, to get them on the trailer. And then I used the idea of restraint or taking a horse's feet away to teach them patience. There you go. Interesting. Now, something that I've started doing with Nigel, who is not real fond of getting into or riding in the horse trailer for whatever reasons he's got going, but something I've started doing with him in our grooming area, we don't have cross ties. We tie to the wall and the grooming area is one stall mat. And then the rest of the floor is dirt. So obviously I want him to stand on the mat where it's clean. That's why I just cleaned your feet out. I don't want you to stand in the dirt. So I'm teaching him that he must stand on the mat, not with one foot off the mat, not halfway off the mat, not with your front feet on the back feet off on the mat all the time. <laughs> And and that's been an interesting adventure in in that he has that same restraint he would have in a horse trailer. In other words, he doesn't really want to be there. He would rather be over there chewing on the wall, playing with Scooter, but he has to keep all four of those feet on the mat. And it's been an interesting process. I've been doing it for about two weeks now, insisting that he must have all four feet on the mat all the time when he's tied at the grooming area. And uh, it's 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 starting to sink in now in that if he... You, you can see him starting to take a step off. If I just, my hand starts to reach towards his halter, he just puts the foot back and goes, oh, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to see if that helps to transfer into him being more comfortable in the trailer in the next, in the coming weeks when we go away again. Oh, very interesting. And you can actually, to add in um, clicker training, I actually did a almost similar exercise with my horse Guthrie with a rubber mat. Um, and I used it as his, as his mark. I taught him mark training to stay on a mark for as long as I need you to. And the reason I did that was because he would be, so I do all his clicker behaviors. He'd be so well behaved at home. And when we would go to a show or a demo or a clinic and I'm trying to show people what this horse can do, well, I'm doing a lot of talking and pausing and Guthrie would get, real antsy because I wasn't just working with him and clicking and treating and clicking and treating. So he would be really silly and he'd try to pull my tack off the round pin or he'd get in my way or he'd roll or he'd play with the obstacles. Which was highly entertaining, I'm sure. 
It, yeah, it was adorable, but one distracting. Plus, if he does that too much, and I'm sitting here like big time horse trainer, like, oh, look how well behaved he makes your horses, and he's being a clown with his <laughs> tongue hanging out because he's just bored to death. Um, it's just not going to work. And, you know, when I would do these, I didn't have an assistant who could hold the horse and there's usually not a safe place to tie up. So, you know, I couldn't just like tie him up and say, Hey, stay over here while I go talk to these people. Um, so I got out a little square piece of stall mat, you know, maybe 20 inches by 20 inches this is probably bigger than that, but, uh, big enough for him to easily place his front feet on. And I started with the behavior of put your front feet on. And I would click and treat that a whole bunch of times until he know he knew what the behavior was. And then what I did, and this made a so this is we talked about teaching restraints with ropes and pressure and release. This is another way I taught him to uh, to be restrained both mentally and physically. Um, so I did this with clicker training. So then I said, all right, we're going to build a game of duration, and we're going to play a game of how long can you stay here without leaving. So I started with an arbitrary number um, five because I thought, well, you could stay there for five. And when I say five, I I would actually walk around him while he was standing because I figure, okay, when I'm in a clinic, I'll be walking and talking. So he needs to get used to that. So I would count my steps. So I put him on the mat. I told him, whoa, and I would count. I just start walking around and I would count one, two, three, four, five. And if he made it, and the rule was, you know, you could pick up your foot and put it down. You could, if you have an itch, you can scratch it, but you cannot. And if you can pick up your foot and take it off, as long as it went right back on the mat, those were the rules. But if you left the mat, um, then we would start the count Game over. over. So I would start, start over. with. Exactly. So I started with five, click treat. If he left, I wouldn't go, why I ought to punish him. I would just grab him, put him right back on. Um, and he would not get rewarded for going back on because that's a correction. So once I got five, I said, now I know you can do five. So no more clicking and treating for five. We're going to go to six. So I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, click treat. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, seven, click treat. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, click treat. Now let's say I'm going for nine steps and on step eight, he leaves. Well, I put you back on the mat, I tell you whoa again, and I start the count over. So it might take me several times to get to that nine-step thing. And I didn't do this over the course of one day. I worked on it every day. Now, my goal was 300. And it's a, it's a whole other story that would take up too much show to explain that. But I'll do it. I, I will get around to it. But I wanted to see if I could get him to stand for 300 steps. And I figured 300 is many, many, many minutes of standing and being quiet. If you can do that long, then you're going to be pretty good for what I want. Um, I did not get to 300 last I worked on it. I was up to about 189, which is pretty good. If you really think about counting your steps, that's a lot of counting weight for it's a lot. It of is. Counting. Yeah. He, yeah. I hurt my brain, <laughs> but that horse would go on the mat and wait for 189 steps for one click and one little piece of cookie. Um, and I noticed it made a huge difference everywhere else. Um, not only was he 
much calmer. Uh, he was calmer during our lessons. Anything we were working on, he was just much calmer. Um, he, we got the good behavior we were looking for, so he wasn't silly and, and causing any kind of trouble. Um, and then the other thing is, instead of the mat being something where he was like, ah, you know, I, I guess I got to do this. He loves his mat. If I do liberty work with him and the mat is in the ring, he will leave me and go stand on the mat and then look at me for cookies, um, which is kind <laughs> of weird because <laughs> like, well, if you'd stayed with me, you would have gotten cookies. But he's but going to he volunteer loves- the behavior that he likes best. <laughs> Yes, because it means for Guthrie, not burning calories is his favorite behavior. Yes. <laughs> and and so the mat burns very little uh, as opposed to loping around me in a circle. Um, so it it's cool because the behavior that for most horses is a huge problem, standing still and quiet. This is, this is a problem for most horse people. They've had it with one a horse one time or another. This horse is like, oh my God, I can't wait to go stand still for several minutes in hopes I might get one cookie. It's his favorite thing to do. (laughs) There you go. So um, sort of the basics of the value of horses being restrained, what it is and why it's important and different aspects and different applications therein. And I'm sure this will spur more questions on the HRN Auditor's Facebook page, and we'll save some of those for next time around. So uh, why don't we take a quick break here and hear from our sponsors, Horseware, and then we're going to get our first guest, Auditor Kimberly, on the phone. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. All right, so we are going to get our auditor on for today. Auditor, hello? Hello. Hello, Kimberly. Yeah, it's Kim, yes. You're live. Yay. I, okay. Great. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, okay. So you asked a question last night and um, you said, you know, the issue I had with my mare, I cannot remember. So <laughs> okay. would you enlighten us on what your issue was? Sure. I have the four-year-old Dutch warm blood mare that I bought as a two-year-old out of the pasture. And basically I've done all the work on her. And we had been riding and working and schooling. And I even took her to a little schooling show, dressed her up in a Halloween costume at Halloween, went around. So she's very, she's pretty good about stuff. She's pretty brave about everything. And then January, I took her up to one of the trainers I ride with up in Northern California. Great session. That was into January, going into February. All of a sudden, February, she started. Yeah, the head thing, where she just, any contact, and pushing, asking her to go forward off the leg or the seat and any kind of coming into contact, all of a sudden it just was no. And it was such a sudden and abrupt thing. And I happened to be in a lesson with my regular trainer when it first happened. And um, 
So then I was just so upset. I left her there for two weeks. <laughs> so um, I said, deal with this. And then, so they just basically put her on a line and sent her forward and things like that. And that was, I guess, well and good. And I feel now I have a guilty horse mom because in retrospect, then I bring her home and things weren't much better. Um, finally get the vet out and her teeth were in terrible shape. I mean, she's four and it was just, it was a nightmare mess. So finally get the teeth done and now she's able to go back into a bit because so then she was out of a bit for a while. And so then I was just lining her in like a hackamore and things like that. And now, uh, I don't want to say I'm afraid to start her back, but what I'm afraid of is what if I don't get the good answers I used to have? And then I'm going to have to do something more drastic, which that's where the fear is for me. And I'm not sure where to go. What should be the next step for success? Okay. And, and so basically uh, now you've, you jogged my memory. So what this was um, and, and the, the red flag that I saw when reading this post, and this is because I have so been here, you have a horse, they're doing great. Everything's going just the way you want it. And then all of the sudden, and that's that's the key phrase there, all of the sudden, the horse is not doing those things anymore. Something has changed. And um, I was looking at video of the horse and listening to what Kimberly was saying. And um, my first uh, gut reaction was having the teeth checked. And and again, this is a really young horse. So usually that age, you're not terribly worried about anything going haywire with the teeth, but it's always worth um, getting it looked at. And in this horse's case, there was something there. Um, and so, and I understand being timid about, okay, we had this big problem, uh, you know, a minor training blow up. It was a health issue, but it's fixed. Can we assume, okay, the horse is fixed, let's just get back on and ride, or do we have to start up, do anything special, or what if we get back on the horse and we still have problems, what do we do then? And and I went through a very, very similar issue myself with, um, actually, the horse I was riding was four at the time, little reigning horse, and I was working on his spins to the right, and then one day he just... He just didn't want to do him. He didn't want to turn to the right, and he felt really sensitive in his mouth. Um, one thing that I'll notice if a horse really is getting sharp points on their teeth is one day they'll feel incredibly soft and wonderful to the bridle. And I'm like, oh, wow, you feel great. And then the next day, they're really, really sensitive to the bridle. So it's like one day where they're like pretty, pretty good about getting off the bit and giving the pressure, and then almost the next day, it, it's almost like the the bit is shocking them. They just want it out of their mouth. They can't stand it. They're fighting it. And that's usually a good indicator to me. Oh, we need to look at your teeth. So this horse was kind of doing that. And I thought, okay, going to get your teeth checked. Took him to my vet. Good vet. They did his teeth. They said, he's done. Problem still remained. And uh, so I thought, well, but I had your teeth done, so that's not the issue. And me and all my hard-headedness, um, I in, I didn't stop and think, you know, this horse still has an issue and we need to work through it. So I tried to train my way out of it, made it a hundred times worse. Finally, I had a really, really reputable equine dentist look in there. Come to find out his teeth were still in bad shape. He had ulcerations all over his mouth. 
and we were just back at square one again. So I had been battling this horse with this issue for six months before I finally really truly got the, the issue fixed. And after that, obviously, he had a lot of residual issues because he had just fought pain for so long. Um, and he was naturally very def- defensive. So I don't think you're going to have a problem this extreme because it's not like the horse has been going, you know, several months with this issue. Um, so what I would do to start back, I would keep nice, low expectations and I would do a lot of loose rein work and I would just really gently pick up contact again and just kind of feel it out. Um, if you still have an issue, um, any kind of problem, you know, it doesn't hurt. Even if you got your horse to a certain training level and you're doing this in whatever you're working on, you're doing this, this level, um, it doesn't hurt to go back to kindergarten for a few weeks, even a month or two, and just, you know, work it all out again in those lower levels if your horse is having problems and just build back up. All that advanced stuff you were working on will still be there when you come back to it. Thankfully, at her age, it's not so much advanced. I just, yeah, don't want the, I don't want her to think, okay, her go-to response to me now is every time I say something that maybe she isn't so concerned or so thinking maybe she doesn't want to do that, that she gets to say no to the degree that she learned to say no is with the issue with a bit. So I was like, that's, you know, so I don't want to try to avoid that. So I guess starting, you know, basically going backwards for, like I said, the kindergarten and, you know, starting over some of that stuff and seeing where we are. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, it's it's such a yeah exactly <laughs> it's such a tricky line to walk because um you know when you do get her back to where you want her and stuff that she was doing fine before and she does say no you have to decide is this still a pain issue or a fear issue or an anxiety issue or do we push through it and that's that's the really tricky part um i would say uh you know, go back to it slowly, um, lightly, as far as, you know, picking up contact, driving her under the bridle and all that, um, you know, maybe pick up and release several times. Like, Hey, if it should feel okay now, you're going to be okay. Um, you know, don't be afraid to push her through it, but at the same time, I wouldn't go back to what you were doing just full force just yet just kind of take your time if if that means going on a trail ride or loping around the pasture you know that that is just as good for them mentally as any kind of other training okay yeah so she's i mean she does like to go out on the road or in the trails and stuff so that's that's a good thing but um okay yeah <laughs> i like i said i just <laughs> I, I hate to, you know, I hate to, you know, operate off of a fear part of it, but it's like, oh, no. Now, when, when she was Wait, having I issues, when Kimberly, when she was having mm-hmm. issues and refusing yeah. to go forward, was she acting out and doing behaviors that were intimidating, scary, and or dangerous, or did she just lose all of her forward? Oh, no. She, yeah, she did a couple of really scary and or dangerous things, yes. Okay, so then it, your, your, your caution is well-founded. Right. So your caution is well founded. So from my point of view, because I went through this with students as much as horses, because I trained a lot more humans than I did horses. But invariably, those humans had horses that were um, 
far from ideal in many, many cases. So set yourself up for success. If she has difficulty going forward into the bit, spend an inordinate amount of time riding her forward and long and low and have her reach for your hand rather than you picking up the contact and saying, you will go to my hand. You just spend a lot of time in that long, low, get her to stretch, get her to lead to the point where she wants, would you please pick up the reins, mom? Can I can go to frame so I can take my nose off the ground, please. <laughs> and if, if it's something you can manage, um, put, if you were riding her in a, some kind of a bitless design, device, some kind of a hackamore, put the hackamore on as well as the bit and ride her off the hackamore with the bit hanging there and doing nothing. And then when she gets to the point where you go, okay, we're, we're, we're fitter now. We've got our legs back underneath of us. Start using and use both sets of reins. When you're doing things mm-hmm. that are super easy, oh, we're just 20 meter circles at a working trot. I can pick up the reins and ask you to come into my hand. Now I'm going to gently let the hackamore rein cut slide through my fingers so that you end up with the bit. So that you ride, you're riding with both of those devices, and when you're getting to sticky spots, have her ride into the bridle because you can ride a horse on the bit with something around their nose exactly the same as you do it with a bit. So you should be able to mm-hmm. sort of um, wean her back onto that tension without giving her any PTSD moments where she's going, oh, I don't want to do that. It was uncomfortable in my face, and then my mommy got mad at me, and then I had to go do things, and I had to stay away from home so, to help her not go through that loop. And I think if mm-hmm. just – and do what feels good to you. Don't Don't set up a timeline that you think a social convention or trainer convention needs you to use. Set up a timeline okay. that helps you go to the barn and go, I can't wait to try this today. Okay. The good part is the horse is in the backyard, so she has to deal with me daily, multiple times a day. There you go. And <laughs> set it up so that you want to do it. Do it. Make it. And then that's not, that's hard for me, especially coming from a background where I train for a living. I yeah. only ride a couple times a week now. So it's hard for me to set up an agenda that keeps my expectations at a level that's appropriate for the horse. I want things to happen. No, I only ride a couple times a week. Things aren't going to happen that fast. And set your expectation so that it will be successful and fun and you get off, wow, that was easy. And do that for yourself and for your horse. And I think you'll have a great time. You'll have a great summer. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks a whole bunch. I will let you know. Yeah, let us I know. Keep us up to date on the on the Facebook page, eh? Good luck. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Have a good day. Bye. All right. All right bye. Hey, you too. Thank you, Mary. Well, that was an interesting conversation. That was fun. Yes, yes, and and that uh, when whenever you're working with a horse, and um, you know the thing that always makes my ears prick is the horse was doing something one day, the next day they're not. All of a sudden, we have this change. It's the sudden, yeah. Um, that that always that makes you look for making, something physical. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's not always the case, um, but it can. Be. But it's a good place to start when you're playing horse detective. Playing horse detective, and sometimes the physical is related directly to the human. Sometimes it's a piece of tack has gone awry and you didn't notice. Like for example, a horse that that likes to pick the bit up with his tongue and crunch it between his teeth. 
Sometimes, hey, you know what? Look at that. There's a little tiny spur on the bit that he created. A tiny spur that's so small I can barely feel it with my finger, but it was enough to make my horse one day decide that he doesn't want to go on the bit because it poked him in the tongue, and it doesn't take much of a poke in the tongue to make him not want to do it. So don't, don't, uh, don't put that outside your realm of investigation. You know, I had a really interesting... Thing, um, somewhat similar in that, man, I couldn't figure out why this horse was not reacting correctly. And then someone pointed something out and it just blew my mind. It was a Mustang mare. I was training for a Mustang makeover and I was working on um, moving her, uh, moving her shoulders around. So doing a, a spin or a turnaround. And every time we'd get a few circles in, she would just get so upset and she'd jump out out of it and kind of hop on her hind legs and jump forward and she'd throw this huge hissy fit and it would take a long time for me to get her back get her get her back into that maneuver again and we'd do it a couple more steps and she'd just get so mad and so upset and I could not figure out why she was being so silly and someone who was watching me ride said you need to wrap her legs and, and now I normally don't wrap legs for a fair bit of time, um, not until we're in like super fast spinning mode, because, you know, I ride outside a lot, stuff gets in there, you know, they get wet, they get, um, you know, they, they, uh, it's, it's just a mess. And I don't find I need to wrap a horse's legs until we get into the really upper echelon level of raining. Um, but he said, Wrap her legs because what's happening is she's turning and she's hitting her her legs against each other. Like her knees or her cannon bones are, are knocking against each other while she's trying to step over and she's blaming you. And I'm like, wow, really? You know, and, and that's what was happening is she was, she was banging her legs against each other because she couldn't figure out how to step around and then just getting livid because it hurt. And so I went and put a pair of sports medicine boots on her legs and worked on it a few days later. Problem gone. That's that all crazy. And it's just, yeah. And, and I've trained thousands of, not thousands, but hundreds of horses where that has not been an issue. And on that horse, it's just, she could not figure out how to get her legs clear of each other. And then she was hitting them together. And then it was just, she would get so mad because it was my fault because I was making her do that. And uh, yeah, you never know what little fix she need to do to, to fix a problem. And, and that, that also illustrates the value of eyes on the ground. Yes, because someone else, because I couldn't feel her doing that. Yeah, uh, I, well, I no, guess I should And it's to, interesting but, because but I couldn't. Yeah, and sometimes the eyes on the we always think of eyes on the ground as our riding instructor or our coach. Sometimes the person, the eyes on the ground, who is completely unfamiliar with your exact situation, those are the eyes that spot it because. Frequently, these kinds of problems where you're having an issue, they creep in in tiny little dribs and drabs. So the person who sees you on a daily, weekly, monthly basis doesn't see it. But someone who's never watched you at all, who has an educated eye in whatever it is you're doing, will spot it right away. It's like new eyes on the problem. So very interesting. Another See, this is turning into detective work. So why don't we take a quick detective work break? Um, We're going to have a little song. And then when we come back, hopefully we'll have a quick, we'll, uh, we'll answer some questions and talk to our second guest.
say a good rider can hear his horse speak to him, but a great rider can hear his horse whisper the years he's given me, nobility without conceit, friendship without envy, beauty without vanity, a loyalty without compromise. I borrowed freedom when we rode. The history of mankind and civilization rode with us. His body took the weight of mine and I was carried through. I can still hear that whisper. 
for more information on the complete line of horseware turnouts, including Rambo, Rhino, and Amigo. Visit horseware.com or ask your local retailer or online supplier for more information on horseware.com. And that's Chancy Neal, C-H-A-N-C-I-E, Neal, N-E-A-L. And you can find her music on Spotify and Pandora and your favorite music outlet. Or you can look for her on Facebook, Chancy Neal. All right. What's our cue, gal? We have, to, we have to do a quick one. We only have a few minutes before we call Josh. Oh, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. Horse standing quietly on a loose rein. Let's do that one. All right, Denise. This is yours. Yes, Denise Freeman, how to get a horse standing quietly on a loose frame. Um, so uh, what I do is I that's where I start from the very first moment I step on a colt who's never had a ride. That rein is loose. Now, I'm ready to bend their head around um, and get them to stop uh, if they if they go to move. But that's the that's the way I operate with these horses horses is I'm going to give you the chance to do it right unless you give me a reason to do otherwise. So let's say it's not a brand new baby colt and you've got a horse that's just got this habit. Um, first of all, I'm going to get in the habit of during my ride, giving the horse a million tiny little breaks. Uh, so let's say we just worked on some 20 meter circles and we cantered around and the horse, uh, you know, we need to take a little break before we move on to the next thing. I'm going to take that horse to the middle of the arena and I'm going to let him stand and I'm going to give him a loose rein. If I only think he can stand for a few moments, then we'll just stand for a few moments and then I'll work on the other thing. Uh, I'll go work on to the next thing. So I'm going to start inserting these million tiny little breaks for this horse into my riding session. And you do this long enough. Like if you get the horse to do something really great and you want to give him a break, let him catch his air and give him a loose rein, he's going to start craving that moment um, where you put your hand down and just don't do anything for a few minutes. And my horses, they all learn to do this. Um, after I work on something, let's say I'm working on something really hard for 20 minutes, they need a break. I put my hand down and I relax my seat and that horse just goes to sleep and I get out my phone and I'm checking Facebook, which I probably shouldn't be doing, but that's my break. Um, (laughs) and that horse will just sit there snoozing until we move on to the next thing. And it, it just takes a little bit of time to build up to that, to where that horse starts craving that break. Um, let's say your horse can't even stand for a few seconds on a loose rein. Well, I'm still going to give him the loose rein. This is everyone's big problem is you don't want to give up control because you know your horse is going to move. So you keep choked up on the reins because you want to keep him from moving. Well, you're just babysitting him. And if he's being anxious, you're making him more anxious because you're putting pressure on him. Um, so we, we tend to over, uh, compensate for our horses because we don't trust them. We know they're going to walk off. So we just hold them the whole time, which will get your horse dull and anxious and really not wanting to stand still. So I will give them, and when I say loose rein, I mean down to the buckle. Now, you've got to have good rein management skills and be ready to take up slack quickly if you need to in an emergency. But what I will do is I'll give them a nice loose rein. If they move, 
I will pick them up, put them right back where they were, give them loose rein again. And we might play that game over and over and over again. Pick them up, put them back where they were, give them a loose rein. And each time I'm going to feed that slack to them and treat them as if they're the brokest pony in the whole wide world. And you just know they're going to stand still this time. And sure enough, you might play this cat and mouse game over and over and over for several minutes. You know, he moves when you didn't ask, you put him back where you had him, give him a chance to do it right again. Um, one of those times, he will stand still for a moment or two longer than you thought he could. When that happens, I will move the horse off and say, good, that's what I wanted. And I make it a big deal of, I moved you off. You did not decide to move off. So I'll walk him off. I might work on another thing or two. Um, and then I'll give him a chance to do it again. So on a horse that's just terribly anxious, they can't even stand for three seconds. Okay, we'll work on standing for one second. Um, and then when, when I get them to stand for three seconds or one second longer than I thought they could, then we just keep building that duration, upping the criteria and going longer and longer each time, but really make it a habit to insert, uh, thousands of tiny little breaks into your riding session, um, and just giving your opportunity, your horse an opportunity just to kind of shut down the engines for a second, think about what we were just doing, take a break. And then move on to the next thing. When you give them those little, they're going to start craving them. So go. that's where I would start. So the, the main, yep, main thing with that is give them the chance to be good. Give them the chance to be good and, and allow them to, to mess up too so that you're not babysitting them. And something else that people, particularly for folks who do not ride in an arena type of situation or school their horses a lot, um, if the horse will not go contentedly in other words without without emotional craziness if he cannot move quietly and in his own balance on loose rein he can't stand still that way either if he can't move exactly. on loose rein he can't stand on loose rein exactly contact having control through contact is a an elaborate illusion if you're worried you don't have control of your horse don't worry you never did anyway that's what, <laughs> that's what someone i know used to say um ex-boss used to make everyone ride on a loose rein and people would go oh no i can't ride fluffy on a loose rein he's gonna run off and and so they just wouldn't relinquish that control and mm -hmm. he says if you feel like you don't could have control don't worry you never did anyway if that horse wants to go he's gonna go there we go um so there we go yeah just so, just trust it trust it a couple things to work on all right let's give uh let's give josh a call he's ringing wonder if he has control of his mustang yet Oh, a little bit. That, that's why I have Monty's done some brilliant things with uh, with his little horse. When, when is the Kentucky makeover? Uh, June. I think it's the third. Oh, it's coming up June. soon. Yeah. No, it's not. No, we have plenty of time. <laughs> Hello, this is Josh speaking. Hi, Josh. Hello. This is Mary Kitzmiller. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now. Oh, okay, wonderful. Um, now, now for so folks for folks to... who don't know Josh, let's embarrass him a little bit, Mary, and introduce everyone to Josh Knight, who is now live on the Horses in the Morning Show. Hi guys. Okay. <laughs> um, so 
uh, you are one of the trainers in the uh, 2018 Lexington, Kentucky uh, Mustang Makeover. And I know that you've been working with Dan James, which must be absolutely amazing. And you're originally from New Zealand. Is that correct? Yes, that's all correct. So, um, yeah, originally from New Zealand, I think about eight years ago I moved to Australia. So I like to sort of consider myself almost Australian. And what brought you over to the States? Oh, so we, me and my partner, Sky, we um, were out Western Australia and we actually went up to Canada first where um, we were working for a um, truck wagon driver which was um, quite a lot of fun, actually. But um, So I think at the end of the season there, it started getting a bit cold. So we, um, and of course, Australians don't do well in the cold. So we, we actually came down, sent down a message, said, could we come and um, sort of work for you? And um, that's sort of how it ended up. We came down here. So he um, offered us a job after a couple of weeks working for him. And um, so you decided to enter the Mustang makeover. And can I assume that this is your first Mustang? Yes, that's correct. She's um, the first, first Mustang. And um, so I watched it, I actually watched it last year. Um, I thought that'd be actually really cool to, cool to enter and give it a go and see, see what happens. So. And have you... F- Found um, that the Mustang has, uh, is there been any kind of difference in working with a wild Mustang as opposed to any kind of domestic horse you're used to working with? Uh, so, sort of, I guess. There's, there's a couple of little things. Like, obviously, they haven't been handled. So, obviously, they're really, I guess, um, scared and nervous around you at the beginning. Um, but we've, we've had a few... I guess they were domestic horses. They just hadn't been handled. They were almost the same. But um, so the Mustangs actually come around pretty quickly because they haven't been handled and they haven't been, I guess, messed up yet. So once once you gain their trust, um, from what I've seen with this one, um, she's been she's been awesome. She tries very hard and sort of just doesn't isn't scared about much anymore. Yeah. She looks amazing from the progress that you've posted. I know you've hauled her out. You've cracked stock whips off of her, which is is just really fantastic. So I assume she's kind of on track with where you thought she would be by now. There's um, everything's going as planned. Yes, I, I sort of I didn't really have a plan, I guess, because I, I didn't I've never worked with one before. But um, from what from what she's doing now, I guess I, I think she's on she's on route. Been doing really well. She's just, she's such a nice little horse. Um, so we've started, I guess, trying to get flying changes on her, which is she's a bit of a heavy horse, so it's a bit difficult for her. Um, and uh, we started the Liberty work on her, which I think I posted a couple of photos of her standing on the mark, which um, was obviously the start of the Liberty work. Um, just all all these little things and um, that help her, I guess. Will help me in the uh, competition. What would, yeah? What would you say your uh, strongest skill is right now with her? What What's the best thing that she's doing? She's doing a lot of things pretty well. Um, probably her, I guess, reading side. She's she's um, 
gone really, really well under saddle. Like she's um, come a little soft in the face and moves off your legs really, really well. So um, she's doing doing really well in that. And, um, and what's been her biggest struggle so far, training wise? Probably the biggest struggle was back when I first got her, just getting her um, desensitized. Because she was she, she was the sort of horse that if she reacted to something, she'd sort of explode. So got a little bit got a little bit hairy there for a couple of times. But so once I just sort of got her desensitized to things, um, she managed to get over it. But you know, that was probably her hardest. Hardest struggle was getting her to trust me. That's been the the thing, you know, you mentioned earlier about how they come around really quick. And that's been the thing that is I find so wonderful about the Mustangs is, yeah, you get some that are pretty wild. And, and of course, that's always the biggest challenge with them is getting up to them and everything. But um, you're right. They are such a blank slate that everything you teach them. Now, the downside of this is everything you teach them. It could be something good. It could be something bad. But man, does it stick. If you never, you know, if you're working with them on the lead rope and you set it up to where you're never having to pull and yank on that rope, that horse is going to be so nice and soft. Of course, on the flip side, if you accidentally teach them to do something like run off, um, well, then you're going to be dealing with that for the next four months. Um, So one of the things that's unique about these makeovers is we've got to get this horse trained. Obviously, we're training them for the public. Um, They've got to get through these preliminary classes but if you make the finals you've got to do this amazing spectacular freestyle you have three and a half minutes to show everything you've got um i always find it fascinating to learn what the trainer's strategies are for that do you train the horse first and let them tell you what they're going to be good at and then put a freestyle around that or did you get this horse where okay i'm going to do this theme freestyle we're going to do this trick this trick this trick and immediately start working on that. How has that been going for you? Do you even have a fle- freestyle plan at this point? Well, I guess I guess I do have a bit of a freestyle plan, but yes, I I would I train the horse first and then see I guess what she's good at, what she um, struggles with. Um, so we we sort of from from that point, seeing what she's good at, go from there and see I guess what I'm going to do in the freestyle and um so i got i got a couple of plans for it but um don't want to give away too many secrets now but um i'm gonna go for an australian <laughs> gonna go for an australian theme since, since oh right go, on i like it well australian. that's what i was gonna do no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> so and since since your name i was obviously bindi she's bindi erwin there uh, really, um, keep with the Australian thing. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you've done a beautiful job with her. Um, I would encourage anyone who's interested in a Mustang to, uh, there's a couple of groups on Facebook. I think that's the Kentucky Extreme Mustang Makeover 2018. A lot of trainers are posting their progress and their pictures up there. You can see uh, what Josh has done with his horse and other trainers as well. Um, so I want to thank you so much for coming on today and definitely keep us updated with how your horse is doing. And I know a bunch of us auditors will be over there um, in Lexington to watch everyone compete. Uh, that's great. It's great to talk to you. Thanks a lot.
Thanks, Josh. That was interesting. Uh, all right. Thanks for coming on. Good luck. Thanks a lot. Bye. Cool stuff. Yes, yes. Um, his was one of the horses that just really caught my eye, and I really wanted to find out the training process behind it. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous horse. Um, and, and you know, you've got some of these competitors when when you're at home just working on leading your horse. Some of these guys are riding around bareback and bridalists, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, why do I even bother? Um, <laughs> No pressure. (laughs) Yeah, it's always interesting seeing the different processes people take and what it's like to work with these Mustangs and uh, uh, tons of fun. Tons of fun, yeah. Well, speaking of tons of fun, uh, I think we have time for one more listener question, and I will let you pick that out while we hear from one of our advertisers. Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. And actually, one of the most popular selling cinches at many tack shops that carry Total Saddle Fit is shoulder relief cinch, which comes in different liners for them. So you can change out the liner and have a clean cinch for each horse. Or if you have horses that require different materials, you can get the um, high quality uh, neoprene or you can get uh, wool felt. So it's a good variety there. Very cool. Um, I, okay. So we're going on to uh, another question. Our last question. Um, What's it going to be? Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go with Carly Wilcox and, The question is, I am working to get my pony to focus on me and not his friends in the arena. What I'm doing now is I work him harder when he's near his friends and breaks when he's away from them. But is that the only way to go about it? So um, that is one way. And it works in a sense. you know, I when I first was learning about training horses, this is one thing we did a lot. And I could never I could never break my horses. We would do this for buddy sour horses, barn sour horses. Like if they wanted to run back to the barn, we'd let them go back to the barn, then work them really hard at the barn and and then take them away from the barn and let them rest. And we do the same thing with other horses that they wanted to be around. And what I came to learn is um like if if I work my horse really hard at the barn and then take him away from the barn and let him rest and do that over and over and over and over again. When I'm done with all that and I get off of him, where's he going to go? 
He's going to go back to the barn. He's got to. That's where he lives. That's he's right. going to go back there and he's <laughs> he's going to he's going to sleep in his nice cushy shavings in his warm little stall. He's going to get his his uh his hay and he's going to get his grain and I, there's no amount of making him work at the barn that is going to make him not want to be at the barn. Um, you know, I could do jumping jacks by my bed um, in the morning, hundreds of jumping jacks, which I probably ought to be doing. I'm still going to want to go back to that bed at night. I'm not going to go, oh, man, I had to work really hard by that bed this morning. I don't want to be in the bed. Um, no, that's never going to be true. I love my bed. <laughs> um, and same with his same with his buddies. You could, you know, work him around his buddies and rest him away and work around his buddies and okay, rest him away. Turn him out with horses well, he going to see that night? There we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So find find some real nags that want to kick the the crap out of him, and you know make those his new friends. Uh, so no, not so yeah, you know at the end of the day, you're gonna put that horse back out to pasture with his friends. So they're always going to be more reinforcing than anything you're doing. But <laughs> um, I will use that idea to an extent, especially when I'm working with young colts. Um, my assistant and I were both working horses in the arena one day, and she was l- lunging this really big, uh, kind of heavy mare, big sweet mare, but would kind of drag you around a little bit. And that mare would keep dragging my assistant off toward me um, because she thought if I get over to where she is, what she knew was going to happen is Allison, my assistant, would not want to get me run over, so she would stop what she was doing when the horse ran toward me. Um, so that horse knew, oh, I'll just run at her with her horse, and everything stops. I don't have to work anymore. So what I told her, I said, no, I will take care of myself. Um, when she comes around this corner to me, it's not like a punishment. You just decide that that is the place where I want you to work on a gallop for a few seconds. And I also had a flag in my hand, so I would kind of, you know, I would make sure I wouldn't do it and get kicked, but I would kind of lightly flag behind the horse as she came by me too. And so we would do that. So it's like every time the horse came around to my side of the arena, you're going to work a little harder. Every time you go to the other side, you're not going to work so hard. And pretty soon that horse is like, ah, that wasn't as cool a place as I thought it was. And they go somewhere else. Um, And so it does work to an extent. But you have to you have to combine it with other things. So um, this is something I beat into the ground constantly. And the way to get that horse to focus on you is to get control of their feet. Um, and what does that mean exactly? It doesn't mean getting them tired and sweaty. Sometimes that happens, but that's not what you're trying to get done. It doesn't mean punishing them by making them work in tons of little circles. I hear people say that all the time, like, oh, I do tons of circles when he does that. I'm like, well, okay. But there's more There's more to getting control of their feet than just going in a circle. Um, so every time he wants to focus on another horse, I give him something to do. Hey, let's work on a side pass now. Hey, let's work on backing in circles and squares now. Or, hey, let's work on softening to the bridle. Let's work on your shoulder. Let's work on this. Let's go over to this side of the round pen uh, of the arena and do rollbacks for a little bit. So you just give him something to do, something that involves a degree of control um, where you're trying to get his feet to do specific things. And that's usually the best way to get him back on track to you. I could not um, agree more. <laughs> yeah. And this is this is something that I struggle with too because I came from a very traditional eventing and English writing background 
where you do do jillions and jillions of circles, and you do it on horses who are all too happy to do jillions and jillions of circles until they literally drop from exhaustion. There's no getting these horses tired, ever. So when I was first introduced to the concept of moving the horse's feet around to gain control or um, asking them to move in order to gain control, I'm going, well, this isn't working because the horse, he just keeps going and going. And rest is not a relief. Moving is not pressure to these horses. So asking them to move their feet, yes, but you're asking the horse to move his feet in such a way that it genuinely engages their brain. That's what gets them going. That's what the key is. You have to make sure the feet are moving, but the brain has to be engaged at the same time. Exactly. And, you know, even your horses, like your thoroughbreds, which can go and go and go, and your Arabians, which can go 3,000 miles in the desert without water. Um, And so, you know, a few little circles are not going to do anything to dissuade them from running or moving. Um, My first horse was a Morgan, and those things were bred to do farm work all day and then go win races at night. So there's just... Energizer bunny. Yeah. It's not... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You cannot tire them out. Um but even horses that aren't naturally inclined to uh, never wear out, uh, if you lunge your horse enough, they're going to get fit. And then you're going to have to lunge them twice as much. And then they're going to get more fit. And pretty soon, you're going to have to go to the show a week early so you could start lunging your horse. Yes. Um, so, so, yes, getting them sweaty and tired, that has its place, you know, letting them kind of get the zoomies out and get the fresh out on a cold morning. Um, yeah, but you've also got to add concentrated training to that focus training. And it can be something as simple as, you know, I want you to pick up your left front foot and move it two inches to the right. Okay, now put it back. Um, you know, the other reason why you don't want to necessarily go just on making a move, you know, and, and just trying to tire them out is, If you're showing an event, you need your horse. You need your horse fresh. You don't want to take a tired, worn-down horse over a cross-country course. He's going to hurt himself. He's got to be fresh. You still have to find that focus, but you can't, you know, you can't wear him down before he's got to do a very intense job. Yeah, that's right. Now, Nigel does actually struggle with this a little bit in that he either, he, he doesn't so much pay attention to his friends as he is terribly distracted by strangers. If he has other horses nearby that are, that are around, terribly, terribly distracted. And I need to get his attention. And one of the things that I found works well with him is allow him to be near those other horses that are so terribly distracting. But I ask him to do things that are incredibly hard for him mentally, something that he has to really, really focus on. Trot circles are not it. He can do those till the cows come home without using his single brain cell. But if I ask him to do shoulder ins to the left, I ask him to do a turn on the haunches followed by uh, three steps in a straight line followed by a turn on the forehand. Things that he, again, we're moving his feet, but he really has to think hard about doing. And if it's a really bad day, I'm going to be doing this from the ground, not from his back. Um, That is much more effective. And he he struggles with it. He, he wants nothing more than to do something besides those things. So for him, having him go around the horse he wants to be sour about or going near the horses that he finds distracting, doing those things 
Now his energy is very much up right now. But then when I move away from the barn or away from his friends, oh, let's, let's just do some nice, easy trot circles now. He goes, oh my gosh, that's so much easier. Thank you. Okay, if you want to be near those guys, we have to go back to the really hard stuff, which physically, not hard. We're walking for goodness sake. Mentally, really hard. Oh, can we go back and do some trot circles at the other end, please? And it has been very, very effective for him to do those things and help him a focus so that he's not, you know, running off bucking or doing something stupid, but also help him realize that he can be mentally alone with me. And it's a, it's just fine. We're, we'll get over it. And doing that in little bits and little pieces, every time those um, circumstances arise has really helped him to the point now where I can take him out in public or uh, ride him near friends and it's not a disaster waiting to happen now it's just regular everyday stuff so carly keep doing that but try different things when you're doing that working harder are you working him harder physically are you working him harder mentally and that break that he's get when he's away from them is it the break he wants or is it the break you think he wants make sure you're um gauging that and making sure that you're giving him what he really wants. For example, for Nigel, what he really wants is to just move his feet and burn off some adrenaline. Whereas standing still, if I were to take him away from those friends or away from the barn or away from those strange horses and say, stand still, for him, that would not be a break. For him, that would be a struggle. For him, the break, let's just trot in a circle. Let me burn this off. Oh, I feel so much better. Thank you. And it only took me heck three, six months to figure that out. So good to go. I totally agree. There we go. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap our show. Thank you, everybody, for submitting questions over there on the HRN Auditor's Facebook page. Denise, Carly, Corinna, Kyla, Patty, and Marie. And thank you very much for Kim coming on and chatting with us live on the show. You can find Mary where? Where can people appropriately stalk you online? You can find me on Facebook at, at Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship, and um, we're soon be putting up a lot more uh, products on our um, Troublemaker Trading Company Facebook page as well. I've been making jewelry, lots of fun, and uh, yep, pretty much find me there. There we go. And thank you to our sponsor today, Horseware, makers of Ice Vibe, and also to Total Saddle Fit Shoulder Relief Cinches. And we will be back again today's Thursday, tomorrow's Friday, tomorrow, Friday, bad ads. Get them in today, Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. network.com.